us. Grace and peace to you, church. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Chapel. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would experience the grace of God and the peace of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would be forever changed. This morning, um, I invite you to write down some uh, passages that I'm going to reference throughout the sermon today. And maybe by the power of the Spirit, you can create space this week to read a few of them and reflect on what God will say to you this morning as, a, as an extension of who we are together today. And I'll give you some hints before I start saying them as fast as possible, I promise. Before we begin, uh, will you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. On the first Sunday of this series, the beginning of September, this series called Optimism of Grace, we got the banner, we got the stickers, we got the color, so you really can't miss it. It's pretty great. Pastor Jeff directed us to this quote to understand grace from Mark Maddox. It says, as its essence, God's grace is God's loving presence active in the world. And last week, Pastor Serena reminded us beautifully, and I think the song that we sang together, Cornerstone, captured it so beautifully. She said, Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation of this dwelling place. Pastor said, Jesus is what we are built together on, what we are built together out of, out of Jesus' character. We are to embody Jesus' grace to one another, and this is the kingdom of God. I had to write that down and pause our podcast and rewind just so I could get every word right because that I needed to hear that that morning. To understand our lives as redeemed by Jesus' grace, then our primary response to that can only be by gratitude. Today my hope is to invite us to think deeply about the practice and the posture of gratitude. It's at the center of the Christian life. In fact, the theologian Karl Barth wrote this. Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth coming together. Grace evokes gratitude like voice evokes an echo. Grace, gratitude follows grace like thunder follows lightning. Recently, gratitude has been recognized as an important to the well-being of individuals. There's websites and organizations to promote it, and psychologists proclaim its importance for our health and our happiness. In a journal of personality and social psychology called The Grateful Disposition, there's a quote that says, Compared with their less grateful counterparts, grateful people are higher in positive emotions and life satisfaction. And also lower in negative emotions, just as depression, anxiety, and envy. Part of the recent emphasis on gratitude or giving thanks is surely a response to the epidemic of complaint, envy, presumption, and dissatisfaction that undermines human relationships and truly plagues many communities. These forms of ingratitude are deadly. They kill community by chipping away at it until 
participants long to be just about anywhere else. While gratitude gives life to communities, ingratitude that has become established, it sucks out everything that is good until life itself shrivels in discouragement and content takes over. Gratitude and ingratitude are closely tied together to what we notice. And once we start focusing on flaws in a community or in a person, they quickly dominate our attention. There are always things about a community that will disappoint us. And because we have high expectations and our consumer culture teaches us that when things don't go the way we desire them, we create frustration and resentment deep within us. I have come to see that, that envy, envy comes from people's lack of believing in their own gifts. If we were confident in our own gifts, in our own abilities, in our own season, we would never envy that of others. At the core of envy is an absence of gratitude for the gifts we've been given by God. Gratitude and ingratitude are so closely tied to what we see, it is all about what we focus on, where our attention is oriented. Paul is um, hes kind of a big deal in the New Testament. Um, he, he writes a lot of the letters and the books that either you're reading something that's focused on Jesus or Paul that's talking about Jesus in the New Testament. And um, as someone that has had the privilege and honor to study and to go to school, I've read a lot about Paul. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I reread some books. I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I read to write a paper or to get a grade, a passing grade. And now um, that I'm a few years out, I'm actually reading those books again for more formation and transformation. And so I was reading a book and I, I saw something. I saw something that I cannot unsee. And I don't want to be the only one, and so I'd like to share with you what I see. Paul's story from Saul to Paul is one of encountering the revelation of Jesus. However, what that looked like in Paul's everyday life was this, a movement from ingratitude to gratitude. His life as Saul was a life full of ingratitude towards God and human beings. For Saul, it was dressed up in restlessness, concerns about self-fulfillment and entitlement and irritation at not being properly valued or recognized. Even as Paul remembers his time as Saul, he says, I was the Pharisee among Pharisees. While thanksgiving should characterize God's people, when Saul became Paul because of God's grace in Jesus Christ, Paul described failure to give thanks to God as idolatry. Paul describes failure to give thanks to God as idolatry. That merits a sip of coffee because I'm a little tired. My first uh, scripture reference that if you would like to write down and, and read later is in Romans chapter 1. Verses 21 to 23 in Romans 1, verses 21 to 23. Paul argues that at the root of human sin, the root of human sin, 
is a refusal to trust and to honor God and failure to give thanks to God. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, we see how a cycle of, of grace and gratitude and gifts strengthen that community so much that it overflows, that they start giving thanks to God, that their finances are given to the church of Jerusalem. Which creates an ongoing obedience of gratitude that strengthens all of them in the ties to God and to one another. And if you'd like to read more of that, that's 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. As the early Christians were learning what it meant to be a new and transformed community, an ongoing transforming community like ourselves, Paul frequently urged them to give thanks and to be thankful, to practice gratitude. For Paul, God was always saying the ultimate object of thanksgiving. But he also gave that, that he gave thanks for the work and labor of the believers. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 3. He also gave thanks to their faithful partnership in the gospel. In the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 5. Quite often, Paul's encouragement toward gratitude was part of his instructions on how to live out an identity as God's beloved and God's holy people. And how to live well in community. He, he talks about this in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 3 and 4. And he talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 18. What I'd like you to see is not that I'm trying to cramp your hand while you're writing all these verses. But this is kind of a big deal for Paul, right? It's not just sticking to one letter to one church. Or not even just one chapter, one community. But to all of them is the practice of gratitude. It is essential for our life. Of holiness. Even in Romans 12, and now this is my favorite, so we're going to expand it a little bit. See, Paul explained that the fitting response to the mercies of God is to offer one's entire life, as the beginning of Romans chapter 12 says. Your entire life to God in gratitude. And to live in community with humility and with love and with generosity. In this way, Paul closely links gratitude with conduct. Maybe they're two sides of the same coin, perhaps. To live a holy life is to live a life completely oriented in Christ. That all that we do is to seek ways each and every day to practice gratitude. Our text this morning is just another moment in Paul's ministry where he seeks to orient God's people towards Jesus and to live in the way of Jesus. And James read a beautiful, beautiful version of it in the message. Now see, what, what you need to do to help heighten these verses that we will read in a little bit. The Colossian church was dealing with heresy from teachers that were trying to tell these Christians that Jesus was not Lord. Right, That their schedules were Lord, that, that their family unit was Lord, that their ethnic obligations were Lord, that their religious leaders were Lord. But see, Paul was reminding them that it wasn't only that Christ was head of the universe and head of the church, but also that this happened through his sacrificial love towards us. His physical death on the cross. And we were reconciled, reconciled to God at the cross. 
What Paul is saying to the Colossian church is to stay true to Christ. And we can see this with every song and every prayer that we've proclaimed today in community. Paul says, don't chase after those fads. They come and go. But be steadfast in your obedience to Jesus. He captures all of this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. And we have a slide here. I'm going to read it from the new uh, Revised Standard Version. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built in him, and established in the faith, as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. And this is a word from the Lord. Thanks be to God. What Paul is asking the community of faith then, and I believe by the power of the Spirit, asking us as the community of faith today, for us that though have been transformed by Jesus Christ, gratitude is not merely an act or an attitude. It is the obedient response and recognition of all that Jesus has done for us. Now, what this does not mean is that as Christians, we always are supposed to be smiling and cheerful, even in the face of suffering and tragedy or grave injustice. Jesus doesn't want us to be fake or superficial, right? Jesus wants us to be real. In situations of misery and of exploitation, which we can see all around us, gratitude is not a substitute for pursuing justice. It's a posture of thanksgiving and gratitude that roots us as God's people to live and to trust and enable us to remember that the difficulties and injustices to the present day do not have the final word. Gratefulness to God and gratitude for life strengthens us for the journey towards wholeness and justice for all people. To be faithful to God in Christ is to allow gratitude to overflow from your life. To overflow unconsciously, right? Sometimes in the morning when I pour my coffee into my mug, it overflows unconsciously because, well, I'm not awake yet. And it's a beautiful but sad sight. What would our world look like if our life in Jesus overflowed to the world like sometimes our coffee overflows in our mug? I don't think it would be a mess. Maybe it would be a holy mess for the world to recognize. Gratitude is a crucial way in which death and destruction does not have the final word and does not define us. Because Jesus is the final word, the word that became flesh. And Jesus' love towards us is what ultimately defines us. I feel like we have sang a few songs today that remind us of that beautiful word. Even in the midst of hard times, we must have the capacity to remember the small things that we have received from Jesus. No one more than Diedrich Bonhoeffer knows the weight of practicing gratitude in the small things. I think we might have a slide of his picture. Um, yeah, it's pretty serious. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian who called us to action. 
He was deeply concerned with the cheap grace of the German church rather than a costly grace of Jesus. The cost of discipleship and of loving the way of Jesus, he said, could very well get us crucified and actually got Diedrich Bonhoeffer killed. He sought to stand against Hitler and his regime. He says these beautiful words about practicing thanksgiving and gratitude that I believe by the power of the Spirit can speak to us today. That's a, a little bit of a longer quote. The good words are from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. They're going to be up on the screen here. If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no experience, no discoverable riches, if on the contrary we only keep complaining to God that everything is far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us in Jesus Christ. Whatever your Christian fellowship might look like, he goes on to say these powerful words. How many times have I wished I were somewhere else where God was really moving? What this boils down to is what he calls spiritual pornography. Creating a mental fantasy of a perfect place or a perfect person and not to recognize the good things all around us. This spiritual porn is our nemesis, he says. It's absolute poison. Thankfully, the anecdote to spiritual pornography is available and accessible. It's an equal parts of gratitude and affirmation of what Jesus has done in our lives. And what Jesus' activity in the world is calling us to participate in. And guess what? We're all called to participate in this kingdom work in the world, wherever we find ourselves. Gratitude can be undone in our life when we yearn for some ideal of our own lives. Or some ideal of our own communities, our family units, of our, of our work environments, of our neighborhood. Or maybe even some ideals for our church community. It's easy to grow increasingly dissatisfied with what we have. And I wonder if our cultural emphasis on growth and success sometimes maybe, perhaps, squeeze out gratitude in our lives. Over time, we interpret even contentment as an absence of drive or vision. What we must remember and root our life in is in our text this morning, that you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. And that we're called to continue to live in him, rooted in him, and built in him, and established in him. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Our life in Christ is most of all a response to the grace we have received. One community that embodies gratitude is Keith Wasserman, the lead of Good Works Incorporated. A ministry with those that experience homelessness. Every evening, staff, volunteers, and residents gather for dinner. And each one shares a brief explanation of something for which they are grateful. Keith has found that as they make time to listen to one another and to celebrate the gifts of God like food... 
A different tone is set and opportunities of real conversations happen. The act of gratitude, he observes, is contagious and builds community. Remember, this community is rooted on people that are experiencing homelessness while lowering the levels of complaining. Within this community, these rituals create a storehouse of gratitude and hope upon which to draw in leaner times. And there is a ritual, a practice, a forming posture for us, the community of faith, that we've been participating as God's people from the earliest days, and it's called communion. Eucharist, or Eucharisto, the great thanksgiving. We respond to the preached word, that which invites us into the story. I'm not going to sing the song, but you guys did really well. This is my story, right? This is my song. Because I love you all, that's why I'm not singing it. I just wanted to let you know. But then we respond, right? The Christian life is about God calling us and then our life responding. And so we respond to the table, a a sacrament in which calls us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, as James says. But enacting the central story of our lives, which is Jesus's. For us in our Wesleyan tradition, we wholeheartedly believe that sacraments like communion and and the little pool back here that's not open right now, but we participate in baptism. These represent for us simply God's initiative. God's initiative. This guides us to know that God's grace is always on the initiative to bring all people under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Perhaps maybe that's why our tribe, our weird group called the Nazarenes, call this an optimism of grace. Now as Christians around the world today and for hundreds of years, we have created space, they have created space for corporate prayers as a way to prepare the table, kind of like you prepare the table for a meal. You get the napkin and you get the plates and... For us, when we do chili, you got to get the bowls out and put it in. you got to prepare the table. Well, God's people believe that prayer is a helpful way to prepare our hearts for the table. So this morning, I'd like us to, I'd like to lead you in a time of prayer, a call and response. And so the call and response will be on the slides here this morning. Will you join me? And I will start. The Lord be with you. With you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right. It is right in a good and joyful thing. Always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Grant us, Lord, we pray, the spirit to think and to do always the things that are right. That we, because we cannot exist without you, may we be enabled to live according to your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. At this time, I'd ask the pastors to come and prepare the table. And as they do this, we're going to enact the story. 
See, we come to the table to remember and receive the grace that Jesus displayed for us when on the night he was betrayed. At supper, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he, he broke it and he gave thanks to it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Receive it and eat it. Do this in remembrance of life. This is the bread of life. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my cup, the new covenant, my blood, which is shed for you. The cup of our salvation. And what's beautiful is our, our lives are shaped by Jesus Christ and enfolded into the mystery of our faith that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ is coming again. Let us pray. Father, pour out your spirit upon these elements and upon your people gathered at the table. Make us like Jesus. Make us one. Make us the body of Christ, blessed, broken, and made whole, so that the world may know of your amazing grace. Amen. Now I want you to know something. The Lord's table is open to all people who desire to receive the grace of Jesus. Let us partake in these elements of grace together as the body of Christ. And we will partake in intinction, which means that we dip the bread in the cup and then receive those elements. There's something beautiful about that because it's a little messy sometimes, right? You also can't just run through, but you, you have to receive the elements. Because life is messy, but we receive the grace of God each and every day. So as you come to partake in these elements of grace, may we partake with grateful and thankful hearts this morning. Amen. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. We are invited to not just hear the way of Jesus once a week, but are also called to live the way of Jesus every day. So I want to invite you to take a practice with you into this week. We might live this way of Jesus together, well, wherever you find yourselves. In the novel Gilead, Reverend Ames does not expect to live to see his young son grow up. He explains this in the beginning of this book. I'm writing this in part to tell you that if you wonder what you've done in your life and Everyone does wonder sooner or later. He says this beautiful phrase. You have been God's grace to me. A miracle, something more than a miracle. Hearing from one another that you have been God's grace to me changes how we experience the ordinariness of our lives and the sacrifices we are willing to make for the good of the other. Seeing ourselves and others as embodiments of God's grace is exactly what it means to consume the life of Christ and to actually become the very body of Christ to the world. So maybe this phrase, you have been God's grace to me, could overflow in your life from a place of honesty and truth 
before we receive the benediction, I want to invite us again to another practice, to sing the doxology together as one body. I promise I won't be leading us. Some of these beautifully gifted people will. As an expression of living a life of praise and thanksgiving. Will you stand with me and hear this benediction, this blessing as we go? May we this week open our hearts and our lives to see and to tell those around us that they have been God's grace to us. And may perhaps as we live this way of Jesus full of hope wherever we find ourselves, that experiencing God's grace through us may be through someone for the very first time. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.